Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi, it's Mike. Sometimes you hear podcasters say, leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Does it? I think it might. Why not try it? Please follow us and do recommend the show to others. And if you can, leave a review in your own mind, in your own hearts, or especially on one of those big websites that keeps the reviews and shows them to the rest of the public. Hi, it's Mike. It's Saturday. It's the Saturday show, and we're going to do things a little bit differently from what we usually do on Saturday. Actually, it's pretty close. I'm going to perhaps over-orient you so you're not confused. So what we usually do is we take one from the vault and one from the week and play them here on the Saturday show. We're going to take one from the vault. Oh, the vault. But then we will take one from the week that you might not have heard because it was only available to Pesca Plus subscribers. This puts me in a conundrum. Wait a minute. If you, by going to subscribe.mikepesca.com, get extra access by becoming a Pesca Plus subscriber, if I'm then giving that extra access that you pay for away for free on the Saturday show, what is the inducement to join Pesca Plus? Aha! So, as a compromise that I'm sure will satisfy no one, I'm going to play a tease of an interview I did with Eric Zorn, only available for Pesca Plus subscribers. Then I'm going to fade out, tell you how to subscribe again, which you just heard, and, uh, you know, wrap it up nicely, I hope. But the effect will be, if you are a Pesca Plus subscriber, you will say, yeah, exactly. That's why. That's why all the lot of you who don't subscribe to Pesca Plus, that's why I give him my money. And if you were thinking of becoming one, you could say, I need to know what Eric Zorn says if he reveals the true killer. Which brings me to the first interview on this show. It was originally conducted in September of 2015, and the peg for it are all the legal proceedings around Adnan Saeed, the subject of Serial Season 1. So back in 2015, 15, I talked to the three co-hosts of a podcast called Undisclosed, Rabia Qadri, who became very associated and a big advocate for Adnan Saeed, and Colin Miller and Susan Simpson, who are in that category, but perhaps to this day not quite as prominently so as Rabia. And we talked about the case. We talked about what they knew about the case. We talked about extra evidence, that much of which turned out to be true, but also going back and hearing what they said at the time about their own theories, which two-thirds of which didn't prove to be true, is really quite fascinating. So that's that's right here. And then you will hear Eric Zorn and finally me at the end, holding your hand, explaining what happened and why we faded out. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks, it's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity, using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. 
cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. The podcast Undisclosed delves into the minutia of serial. It's not the narrative that was the original podcast, but it gets into the nitty gritty, every fact, as a team of experts, lawyers, and advocates pour over details. Like here, they're playing tape from a detective who was trying to coax the right answer out of, let us say, key serial subject, Jay. What happens then? We leave there, um... I believe, can you bear with me for a minute? Um, okay, we left there. Did you catch that? Jay is responding to someone after that pause. And not just that, there's a tap tap, and then Jay says, oh, okay. Um, okay, we left there. And suddenly, a moment later, he knows the answer. I first heard the tapping after I listened through the clips a few times, and then shortly after that, I found a document in the police file that seemed to correlate with those tappings. And I spent a lot of time checking and double checking to make sure I wasn't hearing something that wasn't there or that this wasn't a tapping that appeared all over the interviews in all kinds of places. But again and again, the pattern held. Jay gets confused, pauses too long, or starts to say the wrong thing and tap, tap, tap. And Jay knows the answer suddenly. The co-hosts of the podcast, Undisclosed, are Rabia Chaudhry, a lawyer, attorney, advocate for Adnan Saeed, Susan Simpson, also a lawyer, she's based in Washington, D.C., and Colin Miller, an associate dean and professor at the University of South Carolina School of Law. Hello to the three of you. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having us. Colin, I had been reading your stuff as I listened to Serial. You did deep dives into evidence that, you know, would have been, I guess, before your podcast thought of too boring to air, right? Right, yeah, I had a friend and a coworker suggest I listen to the podcast, and when I started listening to Serial, it had so many issues that I teach in class on a day-to-day basis, and so I've been using a lot of material from that and incorporating it into my class to help my students learn these criminal law concepts. And Rabia, we know that you are, in fact, the uh, attorney who was on this case first. What about you, Susan? How would you characterize your take on his innocence, or we should probably say just, uh, you know, not guilt. And when did you come to that conclusion? I think he's very likely innocent. Adnan is somewhat in a not better position, but he's one of the few people we actually have any evidence about. So for that reason, he's one of the few people who we can know sort of kind of where he was that day and what he was doing, at least to a much better extent than we can for anyone else in this case. So... I feel more confident saying that I know where Anon was that day than I do than just about everyone else. And it took me a while to get there. For a while, I was mostly just focused on the investigation and its flaws. And I guess a few months in, at some point, I eventually realized that I no longer saw a plausible way for Anon to be guilty. And how would you, would you define what you're doing? Maybe, Robbie, you can handle this. Would you define this project as journalism? No, I mean, not, none of us are journalists. I think that what we're doing here is we have we are synthesizing really the results of Susan and Collins 
investigations over the last um, six, seven months, you know, as they've gotten deeper into this. I mean, I, I consider this an investigatory podcast. I think it's very much from an investigator's and legal perspective. So we're definitely not journalists, but we are showing the public through the podcast kind of like how we are thinking about the case and getting into the kinds of details that serial, because it was very much narrative and from kind of like a, you know, 30,000 feet view in a way and it was really beautified and stuff it didn't get into a lot of the nitty-gritty and so there was a lot there that was not just not touched upon but also i think sarah didn't catch which susan and colin did catch and it had to be told and one of the reasons the podcast came about was because i realized i was doing talks around the country about the case that not a lot of people were actually reading our blogs they had listened to serial but then they kind of faded off and that's because it was harder to consume the information through reading you know a long blog and so one of the trustees realized the same thing. He said, you've got to take all this information and, and put it into a podcast. Everyone's assuming that Hay had plans to go to a wrestling match, yet at the same time, she's scheduled to work that evening. And none of the witnesses talking about the wrestling match can seem to agree on what exactly the match was going to be. So I started looking into it, and after reviewing some old newspaper clippings at the Baltimore Public Library... It turned out that there actually wasn't a wrestling match that evening. So you're saying that basically the wrestling match, which has been part of the state's narrative for 16 years, and it was even accepted as gospel and serial, actually never happened. There was no wrestling match. In, I think it was the last episode of Serial, one of Sarah's assistant producers talked about if Ednan really didn't do it, you'd have to at least conclude that he's the unluckiest guy in the world. I mean, the guy he lent his car to, the guy he lent his cell phone to, was the guy who actually killed his ex-girlfriend. What are the chances of that? How do you grapple with, that seemed like it's not a, not a reason to convict alone, but it does seem a hurdle to get over. How do you guys deal with that? It would only be luck or unluck if the two were independent. It would be unlucky to have a cell phone that pings a tower close to where a body was found and where it was buried, the time it was buried, and to separately have a witness say, oh yeah, he was there then. It's not unlucky to simply have your phone make a call on a tower a few miles from your house and then have the police use that fact to get a witness to say, oh yeah, he was burying the body then, when really... There was no body being buried then, and really the witness's statement was based on the phone records rather than independently. So it's not a question of luck. It's a question of the state using random pieces of evidence to make a case that makes it look like the evidence fits his guilt. Can I just yeah. say that, you know, first of all, I don't think Serial meant to, and I don't think we do either, um, mean to point the, to Jay as being somebody who is responsible for the crime. I think that is completely... I mean, like, it, it is a complete possibility that he had nothing to do with it and had no idea what actually happened to Hay. That's mm -hmm. an actual real possibility I think everybody agrees on. And the second thing I think we have to realize is that this is not... The police figured out that Jay had the car and the phone that day, and they had to then make that work for their case. Right. But if, a, if Jay did not have the phone and the car that day and Adnan had it, I am convinced that they still would have made, built a case against Adnan. It would have been a different story, but they wanted Adnan. He was his guy. It just so happened that they had to deal with Jay. He just got dropped into the middle of the day. I mean, we know when they first pulled Adnan's record, they didn't know that Jay had that stuff. They had to work him into it. You know, I think Yurik said at one point, you got to work with a witness you have. <laughs> and that's what they did heavily. 
As lawyers, do you all hear that tape or look at that testimony, that cross-examination that Christina did with Jay and just say, oh, my God, that's that's terrible? Yes. If you were stepping out on Stephanie, that would have impacted on your relationship. Would it have not? With whom? With anyone. With Stephanie? If you were stepping out on Stephanie. You understand what that term means, don't you? Yes, ma'am. Okay. If you had another girlfriend, anyway. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I was there. Um, you know, I didn't sit through the entire trial, but I was there enough in the second trial that I would, and I was a, like a first or second, I think a second year law student. So I had never, this is the first time I sat in a trial mm-hmm. and I was horrified because I knew that this is not right. I had watched enough Matlock at that point to know that this is not how you do it and how turned off the jurors were. And even in, you know, people who are observing were, I, I was, I was really appalled at her demeanor and it, it was completely ineffective. So yeah, it was sing-songy, and you couldn't follow it, and if anything, it made Jay seem sympathetic. Oh, very much And, so. and that's just my take from listening to a few seconds on Serial. I can't imagine actually being there. It must have been almost to feel like torture, and you get resentful of the lawyer for uh, putting on that sort of flawed performance. I saw I, jurors fall asleep. I saw mm-hmm. jurors roll eye. I mean, like, you could see it in their faces. They were just, you know, she was not connecting with them. And as bad as you might think that her performance in the courtroom was her trial preparation from everything we're finding was that much worse. So I want to I want to pull the jury as it were if you would what Colin what do you think happened here? Yeah, I've said this a few times what I think is that between lunch when Hay was still apparently giving Adnan a ride and the final period AP psychology class when in front of a few students apparently she said I can't give you a ride something's come up I had something else I have to do that in her class or computer class where no one was interviewed in that class that she got a page from someone outside of Woodlawn that caused her to change her plans the killer possibly is the one who paged her because her pager was never found but his pager records were never obtained again they didn't talk to anyone in the computer class so it's more of a here's my alternate scenario but I have no idea the identity of the person who paged her or who killed her Susan what do you think? I tend to lean more towards an unknown party. I don't think we have the pieces before us to put together what happened to her. I'm not sold on that, but that's how I tend to lean now. Rabia. You know, there were a number of, like literally like three or four different serial killers killing young women in the area at that time. So the fact that none of them were looked at, I mean, a number of them weren't caught till later anyways, um, but they were out and about at that time, and they were in close enough proximity to have gotten to her. The fact that that was never taken into consideration as a serious possibility has always been troubling to me. And I think, because, you know, the the way the body was hidden, it, it almost seems like this is somebody who knows what they're doing. But again, we, we, we need a little more information. All right. The name of the podcast is Undisclosed. The panelists, the people who discuss the case of the state versus Adnan Saeed are Rabia Chaudhry, Susan Simpson, and Colin Miller. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. No problem. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. 
Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Hello, Pesca Plus listeners. This is, this is what you subscribe for. This is what you pay for. I'm joined by Eric Zorn, who was a columnist for the Chicago Tribune for 35 years. A, he bestrode the earth in that position, a modern-day Royco. I don't know, maybe he'd object to that. <laughs> but then vulture capitalists came and I would say pretty much destroyed the Tribune. I, I stopped subscribing and not just out of solidarity with Eric. I want to talk about journalism and the state of his old paper and the, and the status and stature of what being a columnist once met, if there's anything like that now. Eric, do you miss the days of actually going into the newsroom and sitting down and hearing the clickety-clack of the typewriter? <laughs> it's been a long time since there were clickety-clack of typewriters in the uh, in the newsroom. No, I don't, Mike. I, I left the Tribune in June of 21 when Alden Global Capital had come in and taken over the Tribune and they were offering relatively attractive buyouts and a whole bunch of columnists left at the same time. Steve Chapman left. Uh, Mary Schmeek left. Dalian Glanton left. Uh, shortly after that, Rex Hupke left for USA Today. That uh, there was a, a massive exodus, not just of of columnists, but also of newsroom talent, editing talent. That people saw the buyout, and they also see the writing on the wall for for newspapers under under Alden, which is uh, one of the worst management companies in the country. Uh, for newspapers, Gannett is the worst, apparently, according to recent reports that I've read. But that that daily newspapers are in in real trouble, and the future has got to be in well, it, the old models of journalism, you know, where we make our money dropping newspapers on porches and getting rather large subscription fees. Those days seem to be gone. Do you subscribe to their theory of the case just monetarily? Do you think they'll actually make money on the Tribune? Well, I think they are making money right now, but I think it's a it's a legacy stream of income. I think it's it is older readers who are in the habit of getting a newspaper delivered to their front porches seven days a week or stuck in their mailboxes, and that those people are slowly dying off. And the younger generation coming up, they get their news on their phones and their tablets and maybe their desktops if they still have them, their laptops and desktops, but they're not getting papers delivered. I've got three adult children. None of them subscribe to a home delivery newspaper. So they're going to be getting their – so it's going to be – who's going to be making money off the digital stream? And that so far has been a real challenge for papers. And that's why you're seeing in Chicago, for instance, we're seeing Block Club Chicago, which is a an all-digital operation that's funded with with grants. It's, I mean, there's subscription fees that, that I pay and other people pay for that. But the, their, their main money is coming from, from philanthropic grants. You're seeing ProPublica doing a really good job. You're seeing a lot of these places that are, that are relying on direct digital subscriptions from individuals rather than this idea of taking the, yesterday's news and putting it on a bunch of dead trees and then burning a lot of fossil fuels to drop it on your front porch. I think I think those days are, are, are going and that's where the money is still coming from for newspapers. And they have they are facing, I think, a really serious demographic cliff. 
I enjoy your Substack, the Picayune Sentinel, but do you think as an institution Substack or maybe some competitor of Substack that might not even exist yet, do you think that could really replace what newspapers gave to us in the uh, 20th century? No, I don't. And I, I, but I, I do think that models like Block Club Chicago, which is again, it, it is a, a local news source here in Chicago where and they have reporters on the ground in most of the major communities and they are reporting on the on the granular details often of what's going on in the city in the same way that suburban newspapers support on the report on the granular details of what's going on in the library board and the, on the uh, on the parks council and so on that they're actually giving people their their news and they've also started recently with a an investigative unit that that's I think where we're going to see the growth in journalism it's so it is so incredibly critical and I, I remind people who tell me they're thinking about dropping their subscription to the Tribune these are local people Mike I'm giving you dispensation not living there but you don't you don't want to live in a city that doesn't have the Chicago Tribune and Chicago Sun Times with their still somewhat large staffs keeping an eye on the bastards in city hall and the county building and and uh, in the you know halls of power that that is where you know, newspapers do a, still do a better job than radio and still do a better job than TV stations in holding people to account who would take advantage of you or cheat and lie and steal. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's something that where I feel like sometimes a subscription to a newspaper is almost a, like a donation to a, uh, the ballet or the museum. It's, it's part of your civic obligation to support these institutions. Yeah, except when a large percentage of that subscription fee goes to a vulture capitalist firm who decimated the newspaper. It puts, it's a very, uh, amb- very ambivalent situation for the subscriber to be in if what their main um, focus is is to support journalism and truth. Yeah, well, that's that's why I mean, with with Substack and, and organizations like yours, the support is very direct, and you know, you're not supporting a, a vulture capitalist when you're subscribing to my Substack. You're supporting me and yeah. and my journalism, and it is it is a very direct relationship. I think the same thing is true when you've got ProPublica, when you've got Block Club, when you've got the Tribe, you've got these other organizations, even the Chicago Reader. Now, uh, you, when you've got your money's going directly to the news gathering, I think that makes people feel. A lot better than this feeling of like that you're lining the pockets of these of these wealthy owners of newspapers who who if the record is says anything is what their goal is is to keep cutting the staff and they try to find that fulcrum point where they're still making money and they're paying out as little as possible so you've got a lot of wire copy in the, the in the tribune's case right now you're getting a whole lot of stories that are generated by these suburban newspapers that Tribune Publishing owns. So you get your Chicago Tribune and there'll be some story about the school board up in Highland Park doing something, you know, bell-bottom trousers can no longer touch the ground. <laughs> and and so you've got this situation where the paper just doesn't have the value to people anymore. And they're charging hundreds of dollars a year to have it delivered. And I think people are looking at that going, I could take that those hundreds of dollars a year and spread it around a, bun- a bunch of different organizations like ProPublica, Block Club, like some sub stacks that cover Chicago. And then you would be supporting the same sort of news operation that you were supporting before. Yeah. On the Substack point, I'm skeptical of it. I love it. I subscribe to 10 of them. I have a Substack um, called Pesca Profundities, which you've been nice enough to link to. 
But I'm skeptical of it, as, as I think you are, as a real competitor for newspapers or our attention, because it seems to me it has not demonstrated the ability to actually make a star. What happens is someone like you has 35 years of name recognition and readership built up, and then you could sort of spend down that capital by uh, creating the greatest subspit stack on earth, and you get a small percentage of the people who followed you there will follow you to substack, but it's not as if the person who starts off unknown can become a star on substack, and it's not as if you know hundreds of these people can exist. So I do wonder, I, I know I've heard Matt Taibbi say substack is the future and Jason Kalkanis say that and me and Barry Weiss say that and maybe she has a better case than others because she seems to be building something but it does seem to me that uh, there is there is a problem with Substack actually creating something as opposed to just relying on the attention that was achieved by other institutions that created I agree Barry Weiss is a good point I mean, she has she took her I uh, was a common sense or something that it was called mm -hmm. and she has created I think she calls it the free press now is that yes. I'm, yeah. uh, and, and it's it is still delivered via Substack but it is a publication and she has a staff I think she's got a I think she's making like three million bucks coming in and she's she's uh, really trying to turn it into a, a publication I would enjoy doing that if I had that kind of money coming in I wouldn't I would have thought about the idea of trying to get some sort of a grant or or hiring somebody to start doing the kind of story. People will write to me and say, hey, you should look into this story. And I say, you know, look, I'm one guy and I'm semi-retired now and I'm trying and putting out this kind of robust newsletter, but I'm still, I don't have time to like conduct investigations. I would love to. And and that's what newspapers will do. You you have these, these great stories in the Tribune where they'll take a look at, at, at say, the Chicago mayor's race recently, where they will they will take a really deep dive into the financial plans for both of these and, and the dilemmas facing the new mayor. And this is the kind of thing that it is resource intensive. You've got to have a bunch of people working a bunch of days really hard. And Substack isn't funding that yet, except when it's on the scale of Barry Weiss. I do think, though, that you're going to have publications that use this push model, this email model, this direct public this direct publishing model to people that are going to be successful. But your point about the, it not being able to make stars is a really good one because yeah, I have 35 years of, of capital in the city. I had I started off with 5,000 subscribers on my on the first day and have been able to grow that from there. But but somebody just coming in saying, I'm going to start a Substack, very difficult. And I think you see a lot of people burning out on it after a while because they realize that they're putting a lot of work into it and not really getting the kind of return that they want. A major plank uh, of the of people like Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss who argue for uh, the future primacy of Substack is that the traditional media outlets have really hurt themselves ideologically. And their critique, Taibbi, Greenwald, Weiss is that they've become too progressive. Um, they've abandoned objectivity and readers are specifically looking for something else. It's a little bit self-serving when those particular authors say it since, you know, they object to that ideology. But do you think there is an ideological component uh, to dissatisfaction with legacy media? Or do you think, because so far we've been talking about, it's mostly about funding and mostly about generational change. So what role do you think ideology plays? Well, I, I mean, it's part of this situation that we're seeing in cable TV news, which is that people seem to go for comfort food and they look for 
stories, articles, presentations that make them feel good about what they already believe. And you, you're not seeing the success. I mean, CNN tries to play it down the middle a little bit, but they they find that there just isn't an appetite for you know pro and con kind of conversations. They'd much rather hear Fox News say how you know Joe, Joe Biden is really bad, and someone says, "No, I disagree. He's really, really bad." <laughs> and the same thing with MSNBC that that tends to. Be- and yes, for more of the interview, you can subscribe to Pesca Plus at subscribe.mikepesca.com. There is also an option to subscribe just to ad-free podcasting, and that subscription gets you bonus content, or in the case of fewer ads, less content overall. But it might improve your life and give you back more time. It is is also the most direct and efficient way to support the program, help the program, keep the program alive, the program being the gist. Which is produced by Corey Wara, and the senior producer is Joel Patterson. We will talk to all of you, my ad-free people, my Pesca Plus people, my people just listening to this wondering, did Mike over explain things a tad? We'll speak to everyone on Monday.